Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.24 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 26th of October, 2021. This is episode 498 of Bitcoin, and we might see an unban of Bitcoin by China. <clears throat> I, I told you all about this. I told you that they would probably be doing this. And I'm also telling you, don't go back. Don't. Just don't. If you do, your equipment your miners will be confiscated. They will not let them leave the country this time. All right, please. Please be smart about this. If you've already found new digs, then all you're going to do is at great expense, move everything back over to China. And then once that equipment is there, consider it captured. All right, it's not ever going to leave that country ever again. Now, I don't say don't go back to China because I need America to be the new leader in in Bitcoin mining. That's not it. I'm just saying that China has demonstrated themselves to be bad actors and it's getting worse and is never probably never going to get better. So if you want to do all that, then, you know, more power to you, I guess. But you're never leaving that or at least your equipment is never leaving that country ever again. So let's get into it. Colin Wu is writing this one for Decrypt. Is China about to reverse its Bitcoin mining ban? Here's what's really going on. So maybe there's maybe there's just a bunch of rumors. Let's find out. Today, crypto Twitter influencers and media began circulating rumors that China was regretting its crackdown on crypto after Bitcoin surged new all-time highs in the past week. As has been well-documented, China's Bitcoin mining ban caused the exodus of miners out of China, which once controlled more than 50% of Bitcoin's global hash rate. Those of us from China who know how the country's government operates are highly skeptical, and not just because we haven't seen any serious media coverage of this, but it's still interesting to look at how this misunderstanding arose. The rumor likely came into being for two reasons. First, on October the 21st, China's National Development and Reform Commission stated that it would add virtual currency mining to its list of eliminated industries after it solicits public opinions. When an industry is added to the list, it effectively ceases to exist within mainland China. While the National Development and Reform Commission of China seems a little out of place in the country's current market economy, its word remains binding. The commission first floated virtual currency mining for the list in 2019, but after soliciting opinion, the industry was taken off the final announce list. Therefore, some people think that public opinion could save the industry again, but this is impossible. 
In 2020, China made a global commitment to carbon neutrality, and Chinese policymakers believe that Bitcoin mining wastes energy and undermines its climate efforts, one of its biggest policy priorities. The political pressure on Bitcoin mining was much smaller in 2019 when public opinion averted a crackdown than it is in 2021, and it was a small number of miners in 2019 who succeeded in lobbying the government. Broader public opinion in China is actually opposed to Bitcoin mining because it doesn't create jobs and miners don't pay taxes. I'm not sure how the hell that is even close to true, but whatever. Second, the commission reprinted news that the United States had surpassed China to become the largest Bitcoin mining country. Does this imply that the commission regrets the events that led to this? We don't know for sure, but the likelihood is very low. It can also be interpreted from another angle. Some Chinese government officials may think that more Bitcoin mining will disrupt America's carbon neutrality and disrupt its financial order. Thus, the amplification of this news could just be a form of gloating. Moreover, this news could simply be taken by Chinese government higher-ups to mean that the country has successfully completed the task of combating Bitcoin mining. Putting aside these misunderstandings, what is the real status of crypto mining in China right now? I have to say it's very strict. Inspections have filtered all the way down to small local governments, which are using network technology to find mining IPs. A large number of mining companies have dissolved, and almost all of them, including those centered around Filecoin, are moving out of China. And while research and development of Bitcoin mining chips and machines remains in China for the time being, Bitmain has announced that it will not ship to Chinese users. In short, Bitcoin mining has become the enemy of carbon neutrality in China's eyes. Just look at a new report from China's highest level official economic media that states, quote, Bitcoin mining has high energy consumption, high pollution, high harm, and low output. It will only compete for precious power and waste huge resources, end quote. It's clear that China's Bitcoin mining industry, which once dominated the world, is about to totally withdraw from the market, and it's hard to imagine its return in the foreseeable future. All right, so that's the end of the article, but dude, never say never. We... Clearly, we have no clue what's going on in China. I don't think this guy really does either because private citizen in China, if that's actually a thing, how much information are they going to be able to get from the upper echelons of that particular government, especially that particular style of government, right? I mean, you're talking about totalitarianism, right? I doubt very seriously that Mr. Wu has all the facts, you know, himself, much less us. We don't know what the hell's going on in China, but we do know a couple of things. One, they did say that they were committed to this carbon neutrality, which is complete bullshit because they're opening up coal-fired electricity producing plants hand over fist, and they are not stopping. That never ended. So we already know that the carbon neutrality thing is complete and utter garbage. They, they're just saying that, you know, just cause, right? Second thing is, is that, uh, you know, we do know that they are having brownout problems and blackout problems in large swaths of China, even after Bitcoin mining left, which proves a couple of things. One, the Chinese electrical grid infrastructure isn't all that it's cracked up to be right now as to whether or not that's 
supply of electricity coming into the grid or the grid itself, I don't know. But we do know that there is widespread reports of brownouts and some blackouts across large swaths of China. And that's even after, even after they booted out all the miners, which tells us what? Yeah, mining didn't use as much electricity as you said it did. It just didn't. You guys are still having problems. Again, we don't know what the hell's going on in China. If you're listening to this and you had been a miner in China, and yeah, I know you're probably not listening to this, but that's okay. If you had been a miner in China and you're thinking, oh my God, thank God, they're going to let us come back, don't. Wherever it is that you are, stay put. Go back to China to visit your family or something like that. Or find a really good manager and then move back to China and just manage from remote however it is that you want to do it. But if you put your machines back in China, they're never going to leave China ever again. I guarantee that. All right. So now U.S. Treasury to say SEC can regulate stable coins, according to a report. We're given this by Sebastian Sinclair out of Coindesk. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission may have moved one step closer to achieving significant oversight on stable coins. According to a Bloomberg article on Monday, which cited people familiar with the matter, a report expected this week from the U.S. Treasury Department and other agencies will indicate that the SEC has significant authority to regulate stablecoins, which are the cryptocurrencies pegged one-to-one -to, -one to fiat currencies. The report will also ask Congress to detail how stablecoins should be regulated in the same way bank deposits are. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler reported pushing for changes. Gensler is seeking to make clear the government will take a more active role in stablecoin regulation in the short term while awaiting legislative changes in the long term, according to the report. Okay, that's the end of the article. What do I have to say about it? Good. Good. We never needed stable coins to begin with, right? The, the only people that did are the active traders and you know, maybe a couple, of, a couple of other people. I'm not sure. But Bitcoiners never needed stable coins. I have never touched Tether. I have never touched USDC. I don't need it. What do I do? Well, I convert shitty fiat money into Bitcoin and I hold it. It's literally that easy, folks. It's literally that easy. The hardest work that I had to do was convert all the shit coins that I bought when I was into shit coinery way like in 2015. This is like a few months after I got into Bitcoin. And I was like, oh, Doge, oh, Ethereum, oh, all this stuff. By that, by the, the following summer, okay, because I think I got in September 2015. By the following summer, it had been it it was clear to me that everything but Bitcoin was absolutely worthless. I punched out. And then I had to like I I I punched out of Ethereum specifically, but everything else was I just left it on my hardware wallet, which I then liquidated after Elon Musk made his appearance on Saturday Night Live. Right. So that's the hardest work that I ever had to do with Bitcoin because I had to get on an exchange. I had to KYC. Yeah, I know you're screaming at me. It's okay. I'll figure it out later. But I had to dump out of all this stuff. And it, was, it wasn't it was a lot of work, but I mean, I can't imagine, it, imagine doing that all day long, every single day, looking at charts, locked to my computer like some kind of fucking zombie or something like that. It was just, 
the, the whole thing just rankles me. But anyway, it looks like the SEC is going to start regulating stablecoin. And I think what that will do is it will alleviate the pressures on trading Bitcoin for anything else. And we can just start really focusing in on developing a, a sole Bitcoin circular economy. And we don't depend on stable coins and we don't depend on peg ins and peg outs. And we don't really depend on anything other than saying, hey, I raised a chicken. It costs this many Satoshis. If you have Satoshis and you would like to purchase this chicken, then send the Satoshis to my wallet. Here's a QR code. Oh, I see that I've got the Satoshis. Here is your chicken. If we just do that and worry about that and all the rest of this stuff we just let die, I think we'd be much better off, honestly. But <clears throat> we have other things to worry about because DeFi is always going to be with us, isn't it? Well, Gensler, again, in another article by Andrew Asmakov from Decrypt, says DeFi will end poorly without protections, SEC Chair Gary Gensler said. Yay, Gary! The emerging decentralized finance industry is one of the most innovative areas in crypto, according to U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission uh, Chair Gary Gensler, but that doesn't mean it can evade regulations. Well, duh. Speaking at the Yahoo Finance's All Market Summit on Monday, Gensler said that while Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, creator of Bitcoin, was pressing up against the definition of money, DeFi is starting to press up against some other innovations. Quote, while that's all interesting, it reminds me a lot of when peer-to-peer -peer lending came along about 15 years ago, said Gensler. According to him, it took regulators about three or five years to bring peer-to-peer -peer systems within investor protections, and this is the process he is now seeing in DeFi. DeFi is the umbrella term for a network of decentralized non-custodial finance fruit protocols and sushi swaps focused on lending, yield farming, crypto derivatives, and other bullshit products. I'm ad-libbing here a little bit. DeFi allows regular users to waste all of their money in a sprawling financial system without the need for any third-party intermediaries, such as banks or other financial institutions, which will rip your ass off in other completely different ways. And while Gensler's hope is that innovation eventually survives, it's financial stability, concerns, and public protection that are top of mind. Quote, there's a lot of lending going on. Ooh, oh my. There's a lot of trading going on. <gasps> Perish the thought. And without protections, I fear that it's going to end poorly. And, and in that, Mr. Gensler is in fact correct. This is not the first time he has taken aim at DeFi. Earlier this summer, he said that DeFi platforms may be rife with unregistered securities while also suggesting the term DeFi itself isn't accurate calling it a bit of a misnomer, yeah, just a bit. One important part of DeFi are stable coins, the cryptocurrencies whose value is pegged one to one to fiat currencies like the US dollar or the Euro. And when asked whether stable coins should be regulated in the same way as banks, Gensler admitted that this is something the SEC is looking at. Yeah, indeed, we just, we just read that article. Quote, <clears throat> there's about $130 billion of stable coins today that's nearly tenfold up in the last year. They're intertwined inside of crypto exchanges, uh, crypto lending platforms, uh, facilitating 80% of the volume, said Gensler. Such figures, according to the SEC chair, lead to a conclusion that there's a lot of speculative activity in the market and that it's best to bring that inside regulatory investor protection. 
So I do think that there's work to be done here, added Gensler. So DeFi depends on stable coins. And if the SEC starts regulating stable coins the way that I think that they might start regulating stable coins, uh, I would punch out of DeFi. I would never have gotten into DeFi if I were you, honestly. I mean, on like mango yielding for swapping fish cakes on some weird platform that's always getting hacked in my mind is not the safest way to build wealth. I'm just saying U.S. government to auction five Bitcoin worth over $300,000 from Bitcoin magazines. Anomsias, we have this one. <clears throat> the U.S. government in all of their idiocy is hosting a <clears throat> fall for cryptocurrency, an online Bitcoin auction event between October 26th and 28th, 2021. And nearly five BTC will be auctioned in five different lots. In April, the United States government sold 9.5 BTC in a notable discount compared to market prices. U.S. government auctions are performed by GSA Auctions, a service of the United States General Services Administration that functions as the federal government's online clearinghouse for surplus, federally owned assets, and equipment. Bitcoin auctioned by GSA is usually sold at a discounted price. In April, the government sold a nearly nine and a half Bitcoin worth $520,000 at the time for $487,000, meaning that buyers were able to scoop the Bitcoin up at more than 6% below market price. The argument could be made that privacy is the actual trade-off. The buyer is, in this case, spending less dollars at the expense of their personal information as purchasing BTC from the government is the most invasive know-your-customer scenario ever. Some people may still find it attractive and worthy to hand over their personally identifiable information for a small discount, in which case the GSA auction could be an opportunity, but caution is warranted. Given the value proposition of Bitcoin may be compromised depending on the level of identifiable information a watcher possesses of a Bitcoin user. So the United the, the real story here is that the United States government has not learned their lesson. And they will continue to auction off every single Bitcoin that they can possibly seize at well, the fact that they're even auctioning it off. Even if they let's say that they traded like the auction got a premium on these things and they actually sold more than the market value at the time it, they're still selling bitcoin for fiat it's the most ridiculous thing that i've ever seen so one question that i do have is are they selling all of the bitcoin that they ever get is there a way that we can know how much the united states government holds in bitcoin seized assets and otherwise i don't think that there's an audit of that so unless we audit GSA, and I, I don't know if an audit is available of GSA, uh, we don't really know if the United States government is selling all of their Bitcoin. So what say you, uh, you know, DM me or, or tweet at me what you think. <clears throat> Does the United States government sell 100% of the Bitcoin that they seize or do they sell only a small portion of that? Peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin exchange, local Bitcoin launches a mobile app. This is Jose Antonio Lanz for Decrypt.co. The peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platform, Local Bitcoins, announced today the launch of its mobile app. The app is now available to download on Android with an iOS version still under development, according to the press release. 
the company did not provide a specific launch date for the iOS version. Founded in 2021, Local Bitcoins has played a leading role in providing a platform for Bitcoin trading in emerging markets. I know you're screaming. You know why you're screaming? Because Local Bitcoins was not founded in 2021. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain we've had Local Bitcoins around for longer than that, but let's just, let's move past it. It currently dominates the peer-to-peer -peer trading space in Latin America and Russia, for example, with a wide lead over up-and-coming competitors such as Paxful and Binance P2P. For example, in Russia, traders swapped less than 5 BTC last week on Paxful, but local Bitcoin users traded over 40 BTC in the exact same period of time. Before today, local Bitcoin's traders had to access the platform from a web browser and a not-so-user-friendly interface. Third-party apps that attempted to use the local Bitcoin's market also failed for security reasons. In contrast, Paxful and Binance P2P offers apps on Android and iOS with user-friendly interfaces and features that make the overall user experience more robust, such as a cryptocurrency wallet for Paxful or the spot peer-to-peer -peer and futures trading functions on the Binance app. Quote, we are continuously listening to the needs of our customers worldwide, and many of our customers have been hoping for a mobile app as an option. And as a result, we developed one, said Juka Blomberg, local Bitcoin's chief marketing officer. The app appears to have the same functionality that the platform offers on its desktop version, and it will support 190 countries, more than 100 payment methods, a Bitcoin wallet, a biometric security, fee-free user-to-user transactions, and multi-language user support. The peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin market continues to thrive, especially in areas where spot trading is restricted or prohibited. According to data from peer-to-peer -peer market analyst website Anaconda, wait a minute, Anaconda, 32,373 peer-to-peer trades were made on local Bitcoins in the last 24 hours for a total of about $10.5 million. So if you guys have been using local bitcoins uh, i guess the app is soon to to hit your come your way and if you're on android you can get it today i guess we'll it's weird that people don't release you know an ios version and an android version of the exact same thing at the same time and it just seems that you would want to do that but you know i i don't make them so i i don't know i'm whatever <clears throat> oh good lord coindesk michael buluski has this one backed shares surge 180% after packs with MasterCard and Fizzserve for crypto payments. Good Lord. The shares jumped about 180% Monday and reached a record high of $28 a share after the digital asset platform announced two partnerships. MasterCard and Bact said Monday morning that they are working to allow consumers to buy, sell, and hold digital assets through custodial wallets offered by BACT. Meanwhile, a BACT partnership announced Monday afternoon with Fiserv will allow for similar capabilities, allowing for merchants to expand their crypto payment offerings. BACT shares went live on the New York Stock Exchange October the 18th after a SPAC deal that valued the company at about $2.1 billion. The firm's current market capitalization is now over $4 billion. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not happy at all about the situation with MasterCard. It it just doesn't make any, I, we don't need it. That's the point. However, there's going to be a lot of people screaming for it 
because they don't want to learn anything new and they just want to live in the legacy financial system, but they want access to Bitcoin and whatnot. So we're not going to be able to stop this. And that's okay. We just got to develop, you know, we have, we have everything that we need to, to, to build a parallel financial system where people can build their own companies and, and rival MasterCard for the first time. You weren't ever going to do that. You were never going to do that. Okay, so we have everything that we need. We don't need Visa, MasterCard, and backed, you know, cozying up in the same bed, but they're going to do it. So you might as well get used to it and just figure out, hey, this may be a way for me to start my own company. Who knows? Who knows? Just, you know, do it. Just just do it, bitches. All right, y'all ready for some Elon Musk news? Well, Tesla hints that it may soon resume support for crypto payments, according to Kira Wright from Cointelegraph. Tesla, the major electric vehicle manufacturer headed by Dogecoin proselytizer Elon Musk, has hinted that it may soon look to restore support for crypto payments. In a September quarterly filing with the United States SEC, the firm stated it may in the future restart the practice of transacting in cryptocurrencies, which suggests Tesla is eyeing resuming support for purchases made using digital assets. The company also expressed its long-term belief in crypto assets as a store of value and means of payment, stating, quote, we believe that in the long-term potential of digital assets, both as an investment and also as a liquid alternative to cash, end quote, Tesla previously accepted Bitcoin as payment for electric vehicle purchases between January and March of this year. The move came as part of a broader Bitcoin embrace from Tesla, with the firm also investing $1.5 billion worth of its treasury into BTC during the first quarter of 2021. However, support for Bitcoin was quickly shelved after the firm faced criticism for supporting BTC, despite perceptions that proof-of-work mining has a negative impact on the environment. Oh. In June, Musk indicated that Tesla would consider resuming support for Bitcoin payments once at least half of the Bitcoin network hash rate was powered by renewable energy. The report comes amid news that Tesla's market cap topped $1 trillion after securing a landmark deal with car rental company Hertz. Tesla's share price also rallied about 1,000, or one, wait, I, 100 bucks, what, 1,000? $1,000 for the first time ever? There's actually a typo here. It says, Tesla's share price also rallied about dollar sign one comma zero zero for the first time ever. So I don't know how to read that. I'm sorry. It's either $100 or a thousand bucks and they missed a zero. Who gives a shit? Much to the dismay of Shiba Inu holders, Musk tweeted this weekend that he holds only Bitcoin, shitcoin one and shitcoin two. On Monday, Twitter user Shiba Inu hodler tweeted to Musk asking how much SHIB he is holding to which Musk replied, none. Quote, out of curiosity, I acquired some ASCII hash strings called Bitcoin, uh, Shitcoin 1 and Shitcoin 2. That's it, he added. Oh, God. So Elon Musk is, uh, I guess, is going to get back in the mix. Uh, you know, just just leave him alone. Honestly, don't retweet him. Don't, like, don't interact with his Twitter account. Just basically just forget he exists. I think that that really is the, the best and and clearest way forward and maybe he'll just go away or he'll figure it out. I don't know. I honestly, 
the, the whole thing sucks. But Tesla's a big company. They hold a lot of Bitcoin. He's got a lot of sway. That's what I'm saying. So the, 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 the more we can ignore this person, the better off I think we're all going to be. Let's run the numbers. All right, oil up 1% today. Uh, we're looking at West Texas Intermediate at $84.63. Brent North Sea is up almost a half point, $86.35. Natural gas taking it on the chin after a 9% rise in total yesterday. Uh, it is down 3%, but it's still sitting at $5.71 for 1,000 cubic feet. Gasoline is creeped up just a little bit, $2.51 a gallon, which means you'll be paying through the nose on the west and east coasts. Gold got hammered, 0.89% uh, to the downside, now back below $1,800 at $1,790. Silver down two and one, or what way was it? Yeah, two and a tenth points to $24.07, platinum down three points, copper down almost a full point, palladium down uh, two and a half points. Uh, all agricultural futures are up except for rough rice and cocoa. Is there a clear winner? Yes, there is. It's coffee at $2 or $2, 2.27% to the upside. Dow, the Dow is up 0.24. The uh, S&P futures are up 0.38%. NASDAQ futures up 0.57%. And the S&P is down 0.17%. But real money is on the table. $62,351.81. 290,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is 12,000 transactions on average per hour. With 682,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours, that's 28,500 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 2.35 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.013 BTC or about 700 or actually 800 bucks. Block times are low again, nine minutes and 21 seconds with 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 13 and a third BTC taken in fees overall the last 24 hours and holy shit. With a 7.45% rise in hash rate, we are at 175.24 exahashes per second. Is that, that's not the all time high, but damn, that is getting close. The all time high was 197.6 exahashes per second and it looks like that whole Chinese mining thing is now uh, just well come and gone now Dogecoin your shitcoin indicator is at 26 and one half United States pennies uh, Clark Moody dashboard where are we at here oh uh, 10,924 transactions are waiting on 10 blocks to clear we have a market capitalization of $1.18 trillion, which is a full 10% of gold's market cap. And you may, if you so wish, uh, purchase 34.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 
854,972.75 of, and 3,141.8 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $195.9 million being run over 17,200 nodes with 77,798 payment channels and 74.4% of all that shits on the Tor network. So we have 2,337 and a half BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network with 10,708 nodes running them. And that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use we start this one off with Nomsios again out of Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin could become world reserve currency, says Senator Rand Paul. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bitcoin could become the world's reserve currency if more people lose trust in the government, said Senator Rand Paul, who accepted BTC donations way back in 2016. The Republican senator was interviewed on Axios discussing the future of Bitcoin and fiat currency in the United States. Quote, the government currencies are so unreliable. They're also fiat currencies. They're not backed by anything, Senator Paul said. A Gallup poll published on September the 30th highlighted how Americans' trust in government remains low. The survey found that overall trust in the federal government to handle international problems sit at a record low, 39%, whereas confidence in the judicial branch is at 54%, down 13 points since 2020. U.S. citizens trust in their state, 57%, and local, 66%, governments, continues to be higher than trust in the federal government. As people keep losing faith in their government's ability to handle problems and best represent their interest, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are set to benefit and be even more embraced, Senator Paul highlighted, quote, I've started to question now whether or not cryptocurrency could actually become the reserve currency of the world as more and more people lose confidence in their governments, he said. The senator has touted cryptocurrency before, during his presidential campaign in 2016. In addition to donations in US dollars, Paul accepted Bitcoin donations. Even though the Republican senator was not specific about which cryptocurrency he was referring to in the interview, he has not publicly endorsed any cryptocurrency other than BTC, indicating he was likely referring to Bitcoin it itself, which shouldn't come as a surprise given that BTC is the only cryptocurrency suitable to function as a currency. Yeah, thank you, Nomsios. I, you know, I don't know. Who knows what, how Rand Paul actually thinks. You know, I don't trust any of them anymore. I mean, Rand Paul is about as close to trusting in a government official that I can get, but guess what? He still works for the federal government. Do I trust him? No, I don't trust him at all. I, I hope he's, I hope he's telling the truth. I, I, I do, but I'm not going to trust him. I'm done with that. I, there are very few people that I trust, and the people that I do trust outside of my family are pretty much just straight-up Bitcoiners. <clears throat> now, Nigeria. Oh, God. Arnold Kirimi is writing for Cointelegraph, stating that Nigerian president unveils e-Naira, central bank digital currency. Yay, it's a dict dictator coin. Nigerian president... Muhammadu Buhari is set to officially introduce the country's central bank digital currency, the e-Naira. 
The Central Bank of Nigeria has published a document in which it reaffirmed its intention to introduce the e-Naira after previously attempting but failing to do so on October the 1st. According to the design paper for the e-Naira, the CBN now considers itself prepared to implement the CBDC. The CBN, Central Bank of Nigeria, is working on a global cryptocurrency that will be used as a means of payment and a store of value in addition to replacing cash. The CBN, in its own statement, downplayed the risk of missing a deadline. Rather, the bank emphasized the value of getting things right the first time and how doing so contributes to long-term successes for digital currencies. The CBN stressed the need to get off on the right foot rather than rushing to release a digital currency that has not yet received all necessary approvals. Hey, you know what has received almost all necessary approvals by all the people that actually fucking matter? You named it Bitcoin as previously reported by Cointelegraph. The Nigerian Federal High Court approved the rollout of a CBDC as legal tender on October the 2nd. The CBN published the document containing its design principles for the e-Naira together with an overview of what is expected of the Nigerian digital currency. The two documents are available on the bank's website in English and were also provided in Hausa and Yoruba. According to the CBN, rather than concentrating all of its efforts on launching the e-Naira on time, it has spent its efforts on designing and architecting the e-Naira. It has also allocated a lot of time to educate potential users, losers, about the cryptocurrency's capabilities, risks, and how they will be mitigated. The central bank stated that these key facts should reassure Nigerians that the e-Naira, which will be accessible to offline users, has been carefully planned and prepared for launch. Nigeria is one of the worst financially stable countries on the planet, and now they've just turned their shitty monetary system into a digital specter of itself. That's what they've done. And it's gonna haunt these fucking people even worse than the money system that they already have, which has been failing for years. Congratulations, you spent a lot of time to make shit worse. Good job. This is one of the reasons why I am very, very hopeful for the successes of Bitcoin in Latin America. Because Latin America, hey, you know, you say what you want, you know, whether you call it crime-ridden and drug-lord-ridden and all that shit, it is a fair sight better than many of the countries on the African continent. I, I still hold out hope for the African continent to get their ever-loving shit together, but Nigeria is not going to be one of those countries. Not now and not in the medium term. It's going, they will literally be a holdout of this bullshit currency well after every single one of their neighbors, hopefully, get on a Bitcoin standard. But again, we'll have to see. We'll just have to see. Wall Street brokers growing interested in Bitcoin and miners, says analyst Namsios again for Bitcoin Magazine. Dude must do nothing but write. Wall Street is growing more aware and interested in Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining companies. Wealth management firm D.A. Davidson's analyst Christopher Brindler wrote on October the 25th per a Coindesk report. The asset manager started research coverage of Bitcoin mining stocks on October the 15th, and according to Brindler, interest in BTC and miners has increased significantly since the beginning of the year. Brindler estimates that about 15% of the Wall Street brokers that cover the payment sector are taking Bitcoin seriously now, which was up from 5% at the start of this year, per the report. 
institutional and professional investors are getting more interested in Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining, according to the analyst who wrote that, quote, while most investors are still new to this area, there are there were also quite a few already involved and able to dig deep into D.A. Davidson's new coverage of the industry. The Wall Street firm recently initiated research coverage of Bitcoin miners sharing a bullish short-term outlook for their stocks. On its coverage debut, the firm said it expected these stocks to revalue much higher as earnings estimates crush near-term estimates, even if Bitcoin consolidates. But some institutional investors still have reservations about miners' valuation, the analyst said. Quote, we admit traditional valuation metrics may not apply in this sector as future cash flows are exceedingly difficult to predict, Brindler added. The ability of Bitcoin miners to earn BTC directly and get Bitcoin-backed loans to pay for USD expenses allows them to hodl their, earning or their earned coins and grow their balance sheet as Bitcoin appreciates against the dollar. Yeah, this is, I would stay as far away from trying to value a mining company on the predicted price of Bitcoin because that's only, that's only one side of the story and that side of the story, completely unpredictable. Yeah, no freaking idea. But here's the other side of the unpredictability that has nothing to do with Bitcoin's price. The determination and the dogged, consistent hodling of several mining companies, whether Bitcoin is in consolidation, whether Bitcoin is losing its value compared to fiat currencies, or if Bitcoin is gaining in value against fiat currencies. So that's a, those are two different variables that you're using to try to predict the valuation of a mining company. I would, I mean, all right, look, being trained in science, how many variables do you change in an experiment at one time? One. Why? Because if you change two, you'll never know what the hell's going on. It's immediate. That's like if you ever take if you if if you're younger and you're like listening to this and you're thinking about going into college for a science degree, understand that the minute that you suggest that you change two things in an experiment at once, you're going to get berated by your uh, science professor. It's going to happen. It's going to be immediate because that's one of the absolute requirements to understand in science is that you can only change one variable at a time. This is two. And they're both highly unpredictable. So good luck getting valuations on mining companies in the near term. But hey, the Sioux Energy Center has mined 20 Bitcoin in secret since April. Arvin Donner's got it from Cointelegraph. Electric services provider Ameren Corporation announced on Monday that it has successfully mined upwards of 20 Bitcoin using excess energy generated by one of its coal-based power plants. Oh, that's going to piss some people off. The Sioux Energy Center in West Alton, Missouri. That's the coal-based power plant that we're talking about. While the company set up the data center used to mine the coins back in April, it did not publicly announce the addition until Monday. Its half-megawatt mining facility taps into the Sioux Energy Center's 972-megawatt generation capacity to complete the necessary proof-of-work-based mining activities. Ameren's goals in launching the operation appear to have been to stop a decline in the power plant's energy generation and to provide the company with a new revenue stream. When mining began back in April, the power plant was allegedly running at a mere 17% of its full capacity. 
Following the announcement, the company's environmental impact was quickly called into question. In February, an alliance of three environmental groups, the Waterkeeper Alliance, uh, Missouri Confluence Waterkeeper, and Great Rivers Environmental Law Center announced its intention to file a suit against the company for violating the Federal Clean Water Act. Cry harder, bitches. Quote, they, Amaran, have responded, and we are evaluating our options, said Bruce Morris, an attorney with the Great Rivers Environmental Law Center. The Sioux Energy Complex, which sits on farmland near the banks of the Mississippi River, is alleged to store over 3 million tons of coal ash in an unlined storage pit. The environmental groups have urged management at Sioux Energy Complex to remove the coal ash storage pit in the last, or rather in the past, but to seemingly limited avail. Ash Tracker, the Energy Integrity Project's energy pollution data reporting site, has also stated that of the 29 water monitoring wells surrounding the plant, 15 are polluted above federal advisory levels for molybdenum, boron, sulfate, lithium, and cobalt. Although the utility did complete a $600 million plan that upgraded the plant with the latest environmental controls back in 2010, Ameren's mining operations appear to go against much of the industry's views on how companies in the space should approach their environmental footprint. Everyone from Elon Musk to the crypto derivatives trading platform BitMEX have pledged to do their part to make mining a less resource and energy intensive endeavor. Sam Tabar, Chief Strategy Officer of Bitcoin Miner BitDigital, has said that the use of carbon neutral energy sources is integral to improving sustainability practices and mitigating the industry's environmental impact. So they were mining in secret. And once it, once they made the announcement, the the blue hairs and all the, the, the hysterical people come out of the woodwork and immediately file a lawsuit. Just file a lawsuit. Let's just get. So now they'll all be caught up in in the courts for at least two years. I, nothing in the United States court system ever gets completed fast. So, yeah, we're we'll probably be hearing more about uh, Amarin here within the next few months. I do think it's funny as shit though, because they were able to to mine Bitcoin and they mined twenty since April. Honestly, dude, that's not all that bad. That's actually pretty good. And we're going to see more and more and more of this. And it, whether it's coal-based or nuclear power, it doesn't matter. Humans are going to find energy, however they're going to find energy, and they're going to start mining Bitcoin with it. And this is how this is how the whole thing works, right? They're going to want to mine Bitcoin. And even after the subsidy goes away, right, the Coinbase, we still have fees and that's why a fee market is so important because you can still get, you know, if you can still get enough Bitcoin to make it economically viable, then you're going to continue to do that. Uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I don't expect this stuff to end anytime soon. And honestly, I, I, I honestly think we're crying a, a little too much right now. Uh, this will clear itself up. Coal plants will eventually they'll die but not before they're replaced by other energy sources that do not cause widespread people freezing to death like little ice cubes every single fucking winter, which is probably what we're going to see in Europe this year. Keep a very close eye on what's going on in Europe. 
Their only natural gas supply is controlled by Vladimir Putin. If he turns on, if he turns off one valve, if he makes one phone call or emails one person and says, shut them off, that is going to screw all of Europe, all of it, all at once, very quickly. And I can almost guarantee you that, that he is going to start saber rattling on his ability to turn that shit off. So watch very closely. And if, in your, if you're in Europe, I would start making an escape plan, at least for the short term, to go somewhere where there's either wood burning stoves or, 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 or down by the equator. I'm just saying, man, I'm just saying. All right, let's see what we got next. Oh yeah, check it out, bro. Bitcoin Magazine. And who is it? Who's writing this one? Oh God, who, can you guess? Namzios. <coughs> Voltage Lightning Flow, an interface for Lightning Pool. Lightning Node Cloud Hosting Platform Voltage has announced Flow, a new interface that aims to make the Lightning Pool liquidity marketplace more accessible to everyday users. Pool is an open market that allows Lightning Nodes to open channels and purchase inbound or outbound capacity for a fee. Quote, Flow gives the Lightning liquidity market an easy interface for those in need of liquidity per a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. With Flow, you can leverage our easy-to-use API or dashboard, which is coming soon, to create orders and pool auctions. No more setting up your own pool account. Flow makes it easier for Lightning Network participants to increase their inbound or outbound capacity on demand by automating the high-quality node finding and channel selection processes. It leverages the BOS or BOSS score to relieve participants from manually searching online for good peers. Customers can use Flow by signing up for a Voltage account and installing the pool daemon on their node, which after completion will allow them to use the Voltage API to create an order for a new channel. Paying for the channel can be made with either an on-chain or a Lightning transaction and a sidecar ticket will be generated upon payment. Finally, the user needs to register the ticket with the pool daemon. Flow is currently available as a beta and only through the Voltage API. The node hosting firm said that it is working on bringing Flow to its web platform but hasn't provided a timeline. Liquidity is an essential aspect of managing your Lightning Network node and its channels. Its peers' inbound capacities will determine how many Bitcoin they can receive and their outbound capacities will determine how many Bitcoin that they can send. Overall capacity is added to a channel on its opening transaction, the amount of which becomes the channel's total capacity. Initially, inbound capacity is zero for the peer that bootstrapped the channel with the opening transaction and equal to the total capacity for the other peer. The inverse is true for outbound capacity for each peer. Users can obtain outbound capacity by opening a channel with another peer on the network, but in order to receive lightning transactions, one needs to acquire inbound capacity. In terms of a specific peer, they can increase their inbound capacity by spending Satoshis to the other peer, which will increase their outbound capacity by receiving them. But the tricky part of managing lightning liquidity is how to add inbound capacity beyond the total capacity of a channel after it is already open. Lightning Pool is one option to increase inbound capacity. 
it allows a Lightning Network participant to acquire liquidity by signaling a need for it and incentivizing others to open channels with them with their capital, enabling participants to acquire large amounts of liquidity quickly. Quote, Pool allows a new participant in the network to easily bootstrap uh, their ability to receive funds by paying only a percentage of the total amount of inbound funds required per Lightning Labs documentation. Further quote, as an example, a node could acquire 100 million Satoshis for 100,000 or 0.01%. Ultimately, the prices will be determined by the open marketplace, end quote. By buying a channel on pool, users can more quickly access Bitcoin liquidity from those who have capital to deploy on the Lightning Network without needing to actually know an interested peer, and Flow seeks to make that process easier for everyday users of the Bitcoin second layer solution. Thank God. Now, do, I don't know anything about Flow or the people behind it. I, I hope I'm not leading y'all down like some kind of primrose path that, you know, in, ends up being a bad deal because I haven't been able to look into these guys. But I'll tell you this, this, what is being described is very, very needed. It just is. I've been wanting to kind of take part of the lightning pool thing, but it's really, really difficult. Okay. It's, it's not intuitive. And, you know, plebs like me kind of need an interface to show me what's going on. It makes things easier. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't do it. It's just that I just, I would rather spend my time doing something else. And it's people like these that bring new ways of looking at complex situations. It's people like these that are godsends. Now, hopefully these, they're all above board and they're not here to, to scam you. I don't think that they are. I was thinking last night, <clears throat> that the the place if i think about all the scams in quote unquote crypto the place that i find the least amount of scams is in bitcoin companies in fact i'm hard pressed to actually find one that hasn't been kicked out since 2017. since 2017 i have not found very well i i don't know if i've found any scammers that i've seen personally right i've heard about some other things, but I haven't actually seen Bitcoin scams except your usual, hey, send me one Bitcoin and I'll send you two back. That's, I'm not including that. That's just, that's too easy. I'm talking about people building something that is clearly a scam, but is using it only on Bitcoin or something like that. All the scams I see are on Ethereum, Solana, all the shit coins. That's where the scammers live. That's why I like Bitcoin. And that's why you should like Bitcoin too, but we have other fish to fry. As the world population increases, Bitcoin offers freedom from Bitcoin Magazine. This time it's not Namcios, it's Ava Vazelidu and David Shoumi. Shoumi, okay, I, I butchered it, I know. As the world population increases, the global population passed the 7 billion mark in 2011, in case you're wondering. The percentage of people who live under a democratic regime decreases. It is estimated that if things continue as they are now, that in a year's time, those who live under democratic principles and the rule of law will comprise merely 26% of the global population. As for now, India remains democratic. A report from freedomhouse.org tells us that 2021 is the 15th year in a row that global freedom deteriorated and that authoritarian regimes like the Chinese Communist Party are rising. 
In the same report, it is mentioned that 75% of, of the global population lives in a country where democratic principles are deteriorating. These significant numbers are very much a result of major countries that have abandoned democracy openly like China or secretly like Turkey, or that are thinking about it like India and Brazil, whose next move is anticipated. However, authoritarianism has seeped into Europe as well as countries such as Belarus and Hungary. But what is democracy? Well, the simple definition is that democracy is the rule of the people. The word comes from the ancient Greek, and it is a derivative of two words, demos, meaning the populace, the common people, and kratos, which means power or strength. In ancient Greece, on the hill of Pinks in Athens, Athenians would gather to discuss the issues of the city, which was a revolutionary approach back then. There, on that hill, any one of those thousands could take a stand and share their opinion on the current issues. Decisions were made based on the merit of each option and not merely the social standing of the presenter of the idea. Thousands of years later, societies grew larger and the concept of representative democracy evolved. We began electing certain people to the job of carrying our opinions to the legislature and making decisions upon our behalf. Eventually, societies and populations continued to grow and people had to come up with a way to share the same reality to find a new way to agree. This is where television and mass media made their appearance. People were able to learn about the reality of the rest of the world. We now relied on the news reports to tell us about the world outside of us. However, the news had to be simplified, had to be packaged in neat, disentangled 60-minute discussion topics so that everyone would understand regardless of education, age, IQ, or socioeconomic status. Now, the ones making the decisions are the few, the experts who are standing between the people and that reality. Later, with the advent of the internet, some would claim that this invention would bring democracy back to the hands of the people. <laughs> with the internet also came another type of freedom, financial freedom. On January the 3rd, 2009, the Bitcoin network came into existence. Those who hold Bitcoin see it as many things. It is potential. It is hope. It is independence. But is it democratic? Do the values and principles of democracy apply to the functions of cryptocurrency and specifically of Bitcoins? Bitcoin offers a way out to many living in democratic and undemocratic financially oppressive regimes. El Salvador has recently rolled out Bitcoin as legal tender and President Bukele claims that this will help the country since many El Salvadorans work abroad and send money back home with huge transaction costs and almost 70% of the population don't have a bank account. However, his critics say that Bitcoin's adoption may be a distraction from the steps he has taken toward dismantling democracy. In this case, Bitcoin offers freedom and also is potentially used as a means against it. One can't help but wonder whether the adoption of Bitcoin as an official currency negates the purpose of its existence in a way. Bitcoin, in the end, can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For some, i.e. those who have been, quote, cashing in, Bitcoin has simply been a great way for them to make money. Yeah, fiat money. For others, Bitcoin represents hope for a future. A future where even if someone lives in one of the most authoritarian regimes, they hold a piece of freedom in their digital wallets. Something that cannot be controlled by the few. If the history of humankind has taught us anything, it is that all things can be used for good or evil. It always depends upon in whose hands they end up. That's going to do it for the morning roundup, which is now the afternoon roundup, but what the hell?
Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. Why are there Pop-Tarts but no Mom-Tarts? Because of the pastryarchy. All right, guys. Uh, sorry, this was late today. <clears throat> I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of experimenting with, with some different times. What I've noticed is, is that even though that I'll release this, uh, this podcast in the morning and cause I was kind of, you know, I've, I've always hoped that it would help you guys get to work on the East coast and kind of flow around the world. I was looking at the metrics and that's not really actually the case. A lot of times I'll release one of these podcasts and over 50% of the listens happen six hours after I release the podcast. So I'm just kind of playing around with the time. So just bear with me, just bear with me and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.